I guess as a, a, a personal privilege here, I remember seeing the wave the first time in Atlanta County or Fulton County Stadium, remember? 1989, now this, these were the days when the Braves weren't too good, so we had to think of things to do uh, as an audience, right? And I, I remember, uh, I mean, just the old joke is absolutely true that uh, going out, I mean, I leave your parking pass, you know, out there in the parking lot and then come out after the ball game and find out that somebody has broken into your car and put another parking pass and two, two more tickets in your, on your dashboard. So that's where I learned about the wave, that's for sure. All right, so I begin today. Can I come down here? Is that all right? Is that okay? Okay. Thank you. Um, so who was the most successful prophet in the Old Testament? I'm preaching on Jonah, so there's a hint. <laughs> okay, okay, there you go. Thank you. It wasn't that difficult a question. I was just, no trick question here. So it's Jonah, right? All those tens uh, of thousands of folks that repented and turned toward the Lord, right? Uh, here's, here's question number two for you. Who, what was the name of uh, Jonah's father? Right, Amittai. Amittai, you know what it means? It means truth. So his upbringing, he had a father that's named Truth. Okay, there's something to this, right? So what does Jonah's name mean? Well, it means dove, and it means son of faithfulness son of faithfulness do you think joseph was faith or excuse me jonah was faithful i don't know kind of the jury's out don't you think so what happens is there's this city called nineveh uh it's about three miles long about a mile and a half wide uh and it's enormous for those days you know and it was filled with the assyrians the Assyrians would come and knock off the northern kingdom in 722 BC, but before then, there was an opportunity for them to change. Now, Jonah might be this, uh, this person that's mentioned in 2 Kings uh, about uh, the success of, uh, of change and peacefulness by the city uh, of Nineveh and the Assyrian people for a brief time. Now, if you want to know what happens to, uh, to Nineveh, read the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M one of the minor prophets. That'll tell the story of what really happens to Nineveh later on. But okay, so, a man whose father is named Truth, and he is a son of faithfulness, now receives a word from the Lord to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them to repent or they're gonna die. Now, being a good follower of God, guess what Jonah does? He heads to Joppa, he gets on a ship. Now, in my mind's eye, this is the way my mind works, it's like one of these really early Bronze Age kind of cruise ships, right? That it's gotta go to Tarshish. Now, uh, I used to think that was Spain, but it's probably today, people believe it's the island of Sardinia. The island of Sardinia today is the place where all the rich and famous, they go out and hang out, and it's like a beach town, right? very prosperous, everybody wants to go to Tarshish. Everybody wants to tar go to Tarshish. Now, in Jonah's time then, um, it really is the furthest point that you can go in the known world at that time. And, and why does he do that? Well, Jonah goes because, not because he's afraid of failure in Nineveh or maybe uh, success in Nineveh, but he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. 
Now notice in verse 3, that phrase is repeated twice for emphasis. Jonah hops on that ship to Tarshish to get away from the presence of the Lord. How is that working for Jonah? Right? You know the story. How is it working in your own life? Is there anywhere that you can go that you would leave the presence of the Lord? Say no, right? There's no cave too dark or deep or ocean too deep or a mountain too high. You've heard that expression before. No planet far enough, star far enough to get away from the presence of God. But Jonah in his, I don't know, hubris maybe, said, I I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to, I, I just don't agree with what you're doing, so I'm going to hop on this ship. I'm going to get down in the hold of the ship, and I'm going to go to sleep. And that's what he does. Ship goes, heads out to the Mediterranean, onto the, the Western Med, and somewhere in there, a storm comes up, and now everybody's freaking out on board, right? Captain, they're, they're sacrificing, they're praying, they're making all these arcane gestures toward their, their foreign gods of Tyre and Phoenicia, uh, of sky and sea and air and all this kind of stuff. And, and they're just, they're worried. They're frapping their ship, which means that they band it so it doesn't break up because of the violent storm. And still Jonah's sleeping. Notice the difference between Jonah and when Jesus was sleeping. And so now the captain calls down, the crew calls down, hey, what are you doing? Call upon your God to save us. And basically, you know, long story short, they're throwing cargo overboard to lighten their draft and all this kind of stuff. And they say, you know, Jonah, we're going to revoke your passenger ticket, and we're going to use you now for what they call in these parts bait. So they throw him overboard, right? And he's swallowed up by what? Well, a big fish, right? Okay? So he is sitting there, and he's being partially digested by this big fish over a period of three days, and he's praying, right? Notice the selfishness of his prayer. Uh, The eyes and the wheeze that we hear in that prayer, right? So then we read something very interesting about the book of Jonah, is that there's the second recorded amphibious landing in the Bible that occurs. You see... Noah, or Jonah, is now expectorated. He's thrown up onto the beach. Have you ever seen the painting? It's a really cool painting. It's Jonah walking up onto the beach, and he's bleach white from being partially digested, you know, and, and bleached by the uh, whatever, okay? And then wearing all these uh, seaweed fronds and all this kind of stuff. And me- meanwhile, the people are freaked out on the beach. I would be too. And there God gives him the opportunity to once again do what he called him to do. And now, I guess he's obedient now. He goes and he stands before the people of Nineveh, that great city, and says, repent or die. Repent or die. And to his amazement, to his amazement, they all do that. They, they repent, and then they show it symbolically. They, you know, rent their clothing, they put sackcloth on, and they throw ashes up in the air, and they run under them, and it is a sign of, uh, of repentance. And they even go so far as uh, doing the same thing with their animals. They put sackcloth on the animals and dust ashes on them so that every creature that is in Nineveh now is repented and turning to the Lord. And now Jonah stands before the mighty king of Assyria and tells him this message, and the king freaks out. He says, I will cause a national fast and time of repentance to occur among all my people, and he does it the same way. Sackcloth, ashes, 
and he repents. And Jonah, instead of saying, praise be to God, he gets mad, right? He goes back and said, you know, I don't understand you, God. I don't understand. Don't you understand that if you, if you allow these people to go free, if you allow these people uh, not to be destroyed, then one day they're going to come and get us. They don't deserve the grace. I deserve the grace, but they don't. And so what he does, he builds a booth. It's like a little enclosure, tent open to the sky. And, the, you know, the sun's beating down on his balding pate, and God sends a vine to climb up and make a beautiful canopy so that he's shaded from the, the noonday sun. And, and meanwhile, he, he's mad. Jonah is going, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Then the next day, a worm comes, eats the, the vine, and now the sun blazes down upon Jonah. And God basically says to him, don't you think I have the right? to meter my grace to any and all that I want, and even to all the animals. And that's the way the story ends, the story of Jonah. And you're saying, preacher, you've just gone over in the last seven or eight minutes and just talking about Jonah, a story that I learned in vacation Bible school. What relevance does it have to practical discipleship? Well, let me try. Let me try. So how are you doing with your relationship with Christ and God? Now, you've heard me ask that question before, haven't you? You've heard me ask that a couple of times now. I think that there are times when we develop this comfort zone. You know, spiritually, you know, humidity control, temperature, temperature control, where we just feel very comfortable where we're at. Come to church every Sunday, go to Sunday school, we meet with other Christians and various mission projects or see them in the restaurants or wherever it might be on the island or over in Brunswick or around the world. And we're saying, you know, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm very comfortable. Now, what do you do about that nagging thing in your, in your mind and in your heart that's saying, I need you to do something. I want you to do something right now. How are you reconciling that in your life? Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe there's this tug, this pull that, that Joel was talking about, maybe being a lay liturgist, but maybe it goes on beyond that. You know, Jonah was the only Old Testament prophet that ever went outside the country in which he prophesied. He was really the first missionary, so to speak, of the law and prophets. All the other prophets that you read about stayed in their country and talked to the people of their country about the will of God and what will happen if they don't repent. Jonah was the first to go. He went reluctantly, but he did. So, my beloved, is there something tugging in you today? What is it that's not bringing you any peace right now? Because I'm asked a lot. I said, you know, I don't, preacher, I, I, there's... I don't feel like I'm being blessed. I don't feel like my walk with Jesus is, I just don't feel right, you know? And, you know, I just don't feel like I'm very close to God anymore. And, and I say, are you at peace with yourself right now? Are, are, you, are you at peace? And about nine times out of ten, they say no. And I said, when was the last time you said yes to God? When was the last time you just said, Lord, I know you've been bugging me about this. And believe me, you know what's going on. Because God's not going to give you some kind of a mysterious a weird kind of thing that you can't interpret on your own because he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the best way to communicate to you so that you will go, that you will do, that you will process, 
that you will do things that you're called to do. You see, the calling that God has you like a, like for you, like he did for Jonah, is unique to you. Only you are qualified to do what God is asking you to do right now. The question is, are you going to flee? And once again, that's our natural tendency. When we don't understand something or uh, we just don't want to do it, we act like Jonah and we flee instead of saying, Lord, I don't know if I'm really equipped to do this. I'm not very smart. I'm not... Uh, I'm just, I'm not very wise, I'm not very rich, I, I don't speak a foreign language, I don't even speak English very well. But what is it that you want me to do? What is it you want me to do? And God will tell you. How many years have you fought this? Personally, I fought for a long time. I liked where I was at, wanted to stay what I was doing. I like nuclear power. I love God more. Where is it that God wants you to go? Where is it that God wants you to go? One of my favorite books is by Eugene Peterson. And it's, um, it's a pretty cool book if you want to pick it up. Uh, it's called Under the Unpredictable Plant. And it's a story of holy uh, vocation. And it's written for preachers, but I think it's equally written for everyone uh, as well. And listen to what he says about this passage in Jonah. He says, we respond to the divine initiative, but we humbly request the destination. We're going to be disciples, but not in Nineveh, for heaven's sake. Let's try Tarshish. In Tarshish, we can have a religious career without having to deal with this God person. Well, let me tell you, during this season of appointment, there are some preachers that say, I think I want to try for Tarshish. No, because there's no place called Tarshish. It doesn't exist. You see, we lived in a modern-day Nineveh. We live in a place where the gospel needs to proclaim, be proclaimed where we are and where we're planted that there are folks just like us that hear the call every single day. How shall they respond? How shall we respond when we really want to head away, when we realize that the work for the kingdom is right here? So the aspect then of practical divinity is very, very simple. It's very, very simple, and I leave you with this this morning, that the idea of practical di discipleship is listening and obeying for the call of God even if it means moving away from your religious comfort zone. Are you really ready to take a journey, maybe one that you've never done before, all for the honor and the glory of God, not getting mad, not trying to question God about his motives, for he's called us all to be a part of his redemptive plan of salvation through the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to serve? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.